Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. First brand that made an impact on you way back in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I just remember being a kid and um, going into McDonald's to sing to all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Do you remember that? I you can, can still, still do, do it. it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's not my sexiest brand I remember from that time, but I'll tell you what, like when you said it that way, I'm like, because I remember building up all my nerve to walk up to the counter. I think I got the Big Mac for free and I, and I did it. I don't even know how old I was, but I was young. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO Podcast is Michelle Harmon Madsen, the Chief Marketing Officer of AccuWeather, a super interesting company. Listen to this. AccuWeather is the oldest privately held independent weather forecasting company, 1.5 billion users a day. It serves half of the Fortune 500 with bespoke weather services. It was founded in 1962 by a Penn State meteorology student who is still the CEO And the 58-year-old company has 500 employees and north of $100 million in revenue. Michelle joined AccuWeather in March 2020 in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. This is a unique interview for me because Michelle and I have lived parallel lives. Same hometown, we both went to Penn State University, and we have both had a decades-long career in creativity and marketing. And spoiler alert, she talks a lot about her relationship with Ryan Seacrest. This is my lively and nostalgic conversation with Michelle Harmon Madsen. Michelle, I feel, well, welcome to the CMO Podcast, but I feel we have to give an alert to our listeners. This is going to be a bit of a love fest. You and I grew up in the same hometown. We both went to Penn State, you as an undergrad, me as a grad student, and we're both fascinated by the weather. So shall we dive Absolutely. into this? Absolutely. And by the way, I, I knew we were Penn Staters together, but I didn't know you were fascinated for the weather. And so this is now this conversation is even more exciting. <laughs> I love the weather. I watch, you know, I, I love it. In fact, when we get up every morning, my son and my daughter-in-law, we're all stay at home right now. Just start talking about the weather, checking all the forecasts. When should we go outside? What should we do today? 
So anyway, but first, we have to talk about our hometown, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So how would you describe that town? We both grew up in that small town in Pennsylvania. How would you describe that town for our listeners? Oh, it, you know, Lancaster, Pennsylvania is really a little bit of an idyllic setting, I'd have to say, as a place to grow up. It had that interesting mix of of being a, a small city. I mean, it was probably more of a big town, if you will, but it was also surrounded by beautiful fields and farmers. And so it was a, a mix for me. My, my dad was actually kind of an entrepreneur himself and run a business, ran a business there. And so it was a mix of, I think, you know, new world, old world. It had some of those great foods um, that I grew up with, you know, um, some of the sausages from the German influences. I still love them. And matter of fact, I was back in Lancaster, Oh, um, sadly for a funeral earlier this year, but I had to stop and pick up things for my sisters. But it just, it really was a wonderful place to grow up. I feel very fortunate to have um, met so many great people and, and have been there at that time in my life. What's your favorite Lancaster food? Oh my gosh. Um, honestly, we, we, my sisters and I, we tease this, we call it snossages. It's this, it's this sausage from Weaver's, this little um, store there that would make these small smoked sausages and they were delicious. And then literally the last time I drove back with my sister from town, she ate the whole bag by the time we got back to New York. I love it. I'm a pretzel fan, oh. an ice cream fan, a whoopie pie fan, a tasty cake fan. So I have to exercise a lot to keep all those calories off. So, so what was it like for you to grow up there? Were you an active kid? Were you a cerebral kid? Were you outdoors a lot? Everything, everything. I was, um, I was really very active. Matter it's, it's funny when I think back. I, one of the things I did, um, I joined the soccer team when it first started, and so I was probably in fifth grade or so. And I didn't realize when I signed up, it was girls and boys. And I then played through middle school until I finally realized that you know the boys who I thought were cute, I was beating them out for positions. So I switched to some other sports. But, but no, I was super involved and you know did a lot of sports. Was really involved with the high school. Um, I, I, it was it was a great experience. I have a lot of great friends from that time period. So you went to Hempfield High School, I correct? I did. I did. Do you know? Do you know where I went? No, Jim. Where were you? Guess. Were you Hempfield? You, no, I was Lancaster Catholic. Oh, Lancaster Catholic. Ah, okay. So we we kind of we were a little bit more urban than you were. That's we right. thought about you as sort of the farm kids. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd have to see where I live. It wasn't very farm, but I will admit to you, at the bottom of the hill where I live, there really was a farm, and so uh, it really. I mean, and they actually. Uh, grew the best and sweetest corn, I will tell you, um, which sounds like we've we've grown up in the middle of nowhere, I'd say, between our sausages and our pretzels now and the farm gym <laughs> conversation. But it was uh, it really it was a great place to grow up. And Mefrak, you would appreciate this, that just uh, just this past Friday night, there was this whole group of families there were probably uh, five or six of us. And we actually all got on and did a vir virtual happy hour together the other night, which made me, you know, think so much about that time period. But literally, they were families I've known since I was, you know, in elementary school. I'm doing the same. I'm doing the same with my childhood friends from parochial school. It's, it's so good. That's one silver lining to this pause in our life, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you went to Penn State out of Hempfield and you studied marketing. Did you know you wanted to go into marketing way back in high school? Absolutely not. Marketing, I don't even think I knew what marketing was in high school, to be honest. I went to Penn State. Remember, I wasn't even going to go to Penn State because I had done track meets there and only had been to the indoor track arena. And if you've ever been to any indoor track arena, it's it's the smelliest, you know, nastiest environment. Like it, it didn't really resonate as the best place to go to school. But my parents said, oh, we'll go check it out. So we went up there and did a tour. And 
I walked away saying, that's where I'm going. But the real reason why I wanted to go there was I wanted to be a pre-med major. And that's what I applied mm. and got in for. But they also had aeronautical engineering because, you know, growing up when we did, I thought being an astronaut would be amazing. So I wanted to have that as an option. And they also had a really great art program. And I love the arts. So to me, it was the perfect mix. But what was interesting is I'd say, oh, I was in classes, you know, the first month or two. And I realized I wanted to get very involved on campus. And I had already joined a sorority. I was looking at other activities. And I looked around at my classmates and I realized their free time, they were truly studying. And I thought, oh, my free time. Yes, I'm studying, but I'm really getting involved in these other activities. So I said, maybe this is not the good long-term solution for myself. I also realized biology was fine, but I don't know if I wanted to do it the next four years. So I literally took, I don't know if you remember at the time we had blue books and it was kind of all the majors for the, the university. And so I literally started reading the blue book to find out what other major might interest me. And I kept coming back to marketing. I literally think I went through A to Z. And I finally said, why am I like, let's give it a try. And once I got in, I was hooked and uh, really, really enjoyed my classes in addition to the many activities. It obviously worked out well, <laughs> right? So we're going to come back to your life journey in a little while. But now I want to talk about what's going on right now. You started your role as CMO of AccuWeather in March 2020, so you began in the midst of the pandemic. So how on earth did you start up in the middle of that as an outsider, an outside hire coming in at a senior level? How did you start up? What, what was your strategy? What were your priorities? What did you do to onboard? I would tell you, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. Or I should say, maybe I wouldn't wish it to anyone to start with the pandemic. Literally, I, I came into State College where our headquarters happens to be. And on day one, we formed a COVID-19 task force. So from day one, we were, that was the focus of what we were talking about. And I was fortunate I had eight days in the office, um, both at our headquarters as well as here in our New York office, to be able to meet the leadership, meet um most of my team, but certainly not all of the team. And, um, but it was amazing how the focus from the very beginning was all about our team, all about the employees at the company and how could we create a safe um, environment. And I was really proud. And I think this is why from day one, I was, I was super impressed that they, because they had this task force, they were monitoring the news. They were thinking about if we're going to work remotely, what we have to change. We've got 24-7 news, you know, news um, network. We've got all of the meteorologists there. And so, but the team started working immediately. And it was amazing how they came up with great ideas, facilities, thought about how we could social distance and uh, really provide cleaning services for the teams who were left there, those essential workers. But for me on marketing, um, what I have to, to really thank my team and the other leaders at the company is how much they embrace me. Um, the executive team really, they started reaching out to me. Let me, can I help you understand this? How can I help provide more information? I mean, I think more of a welcome experience that I had ever received at, a, at another company. And my team, I think what was exciting for me is they just came together. I mean, we remember having our first meeting. Well, actually, I take it back. We had a meeting right before we knew we thought maybe the offices could close. And I said, listen, if you are uncomfortable tomorrow, the rest of the week, please stay home. And then my next call to everyone was, please stay home. And so we then started bi-weekly meetings, or I should say twice a week, not every other week, um, where we got together. And that formation of the team and that real 
need and desire to collaborate together and want to see each other really started from the beginning. And I, I'd have to say I would thank all of them because they made my transition to the company be so much easier than it could have been. How did you get to know the business, to get to know the people in this remote setting? What were your rituals? What were your habits that would be interesting for others? You know, it's, it's funny that you say that because um, a ritual at the beginning of a pandemic is, again, not something I'd ever describe um, to someone. But one of the best things we started, it was um, in my prior life in, in other roles, I started something called the New York Minute. And the idea was that everyone in the room would say something at the beginning of a meeting. And very quickly, did we did our head of communication say, Michelle, it cannot be the New York Minute. We've got people everywhere. So it's the marketing minute, uh, which is even better. But what we started, the reason why that was important was everyone's voice was heard at the beginning of a meeting. And particularly for individuals who you know, might have been more sensitive to being in the room with the CMO, might have been um, uncertain about what their point of view was. If you got someone to speak once, it's so much easier to speak the second and the third time. And that's where the interesting questions and the ideas come up. So we started the New York Minute, and that's been really a hallmark of our meetings, particularly for the marketing team. And the meeting itself has become a, it cannot miss meeting. Like you I've, we haven't had one person miss a meeting. I mean, it is such an appointment on your calendar that you want to see everyone. And I think that's been really just a, a fantastic way to work together because we're all on. And honestly, and we're all laughing at our you know, mustaches that have grown, the new <laughs> hair color that's happening. Yeah. Not to mention, I've met everyone's dog, cat, super cute babies, husbands, roommates, you know, you name it, because they're in my living room. I mean, right now you're in my family room. My, my, my family have relegated me here for today. And I feel very blessed that I get to actually experience their homes with each one of them. So what kinds of things come up in the New York Minute? Is it personal stuff, ideas for the business? You know, something you've done interesting lately, lately what, what sort of things? Absolutely. I mean, sometimes it's literally what's top of mind, you know, what's got your attention. And so that could be business. It could be personal. Um, we've heard everything from, you know, the crying baby, you know, what I've got to deal with. But it also has been business ideas that, hey, I've got this challenge. Who's done anything like this? Can we brainstorm? And so I think that we've kept it very fluid. But I will tell you one of the favorite mornings, um, we actually did a pajama breakfast was our theme. And so everyone came in their pajamas, which is certainly a, an interesting team building, you know, exercise. And the topic of the day was, are you a coffee drinker or tea drinker? And uh, which was pretty evenly split. But we also had one soda drinker in the crowd. Very good. So listen, besides the obvious changes, you know, in the pandemic, like we're working remote, we're communicating via Zoom and other things. You know, how has life changed at AccuWeather? Is, is weather forecasting you know, your business, is it more or less important now during the pandemic? I mean, how have your customers and your consumers' needs changed? Are they more involved in the weather or less involved? Are they looking for different things? So tell us a bit about that. No, I think I think the audience and our, our users and our clients both, because we, of course, have um, millions of, of users who come and use all of our digital products or newspaper or radio um, and, of course, the network, but we also have a lot of the B2B clients. But one of the interesting things I'm have been watching is really some of the content that consumers are engaging with and and how that's changed. And yes, they are absolutely coming from the daily forecast. So knowing that your family is waking up in the morning, Jim, and they're saying, you know, what's the weather today? We're absolutely seeing that. And we typically see people going back um, a minimum of three times a day, but it's amazing how they're still in touch. And I think part of that is because 
people, well, anyway, they've got a moment they want to try to get outside. Um, so I think there's some moments of that, particularly if you've got kids at home to how can you get them outside for a few minutes? But we're also seeing some really interesting trends. So one of the articles that has just um, gone gangbusters, I mean, we've done things around COVID-19. And of course, initially, that was that really was impactful because people were concerned. And we were certainly hoping that the weather and sun may impact the the actual um, pandemic. Mm -hmm. But now it's really about, we had a meteor shower this past week in the US and it was amazing seeing people wanna know when it was hitting or the best times to go to go out and watch. We also have seen beautiful, gorgeous skylines with air quality that's coming back around the world. And so we're seeing huge engagement with people wanting to know about that. The other thing I am um, super excited about is we're launching a new app and it's in beta right now. And so it's only out to, we've got thousands of consumers on it, not millions yet, but the feedback we're getting on that has really been um, just thrilling. And I have to really credit the product, the development team who've been working so hard on it, but you know, we're still fixing bugs and you know, we're building different widgets and more features and functions are coming out. But the engagement and the feedback we're getting, it's amazing, much more, I'd say a dedicated audience. And I don't know if it's just because they are weather fans and um, you know, loving the weather, or is it just because part of what's happening, but we're really thrilled with where it's going. So I'd be excited for that launch this year. So you're launching or you're learning about this new product in these pandemic times, which is interesting. Can you say any more about it, what the insight is behind the product? I mean, can you share it or you rather not right now? No, I can share a little bit for you. I mean, I think the big change for us is, you know, we wanted to make the product be, um, you know, we probably, I, I don't know how many years ago we actually had developed the, the app that we have currently, but it's been several years and there's a lot more we wanted to be doing with it. So there's a lot more underlying technology we wanted to change and enhance. We wanted to add different capabilities and features that we've been dying to do for consumers. So just from a look of it, it's beautiful, it's modern, it's very sleek, but it's also really easy to navigate. And that sounds, you know, like such a simple thing, but in reality for people who are coming, if you're going to come for a quick transaction to be able to just look at the weather. You want to be able to get that snapshot. But we also know that so many of our users really want more information. And just by a touch of the thumb, you're going to be able to get all that. So I'm, I'm really excited to see um, how, it, how it all comes to life and consumers like it. I, I must admit, I'm a little biased. It's pretty cool. Can't wait. Now, listen, I want to switch to your role mm -hmm. as CMO at, at AccuWeather. You know, your company had a CMO previously, then eliminated the role and now brought you back in and brought the role back with you. And this is a really interesting area because, of course, lots of the industry is talking about the evolution of the CMO role. Some companies are getting rid of it. Some are broadening it, changing the scope. So I'd like you to talk about why did AccuWeather decide they wanted to reinstate the role, and why did you say yes to that role? <laughs> That that's a really good question. Uh, no, I you know it's interesting when I came in and was talking to our CEO and founder Joel Myers, as well as our president. Matter of fact, um, my discussion with our president was probably one of the last ones I had. We'd we'd had many conversations, but one of the last meetings I had with him, um, Steve Smith said to me, Michelle. I really want to see a CMO who will partner with the executive team to drive in innovation. And what struck me about that is he didn't want the CMO to be the only one driving innovation. 
he didn't want it to be help me drive innovation. It was partner with me. And it was about that team and that energy and that continuous improvement that really struck a chord with me. And so I was really taken aback by his comments. And that was, I'd say, one of the key pieces of why, one of the reasons why I wanted to move forward. The other thing I can tell you is I, um, my daughter, who's in high school, I said to her as I was having conversations and we were getting near the end and um, and I said to her, you know, Julia, you know, I'm thinking about taking this job at AccuWeather to be the CMO. And I said, what do you think? And she goes to me, you know, deadpan, mom, weather impacts everyone. That's cool. And I'll tell you what, that was like the seal of the deal because she's absolutely right. Weather impacts everyone. Um, and I did think it was pretty cool. But back to your other point when you said, gosh, you know, the company had made changes on thinking about the CMO role. And I think part of it was because they were being an event inventive for the other, um, my predecessor to move him to other things and other challenges internally. And they left that role um, without a leader and actually kind of divided up the team into three or four different departments. And I think very quickly, realized that we weren't getting what we needed from marketing. We were too divided. We didn't have collaboration. We weren't learning some of those best practices internally, not to mention, you know, looking outside. So I think part of it was, you know, they tried a different approach and it wasn't working for them the way that it should be. I will also tell you, if you ever meet Joel, Jim, if you're back at Penn State, because he is a very proud Penn Stater as well, um, he would say he's part marketer. Now, I would say he's part meteorologist or 100% meteorologist. <laughs> but what I love is, is that he's really um, invested in, in marketing, and he really wants it to be at a seat at the table and be part of the business discussion. So that was really exciting for me. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. Now, your remit is to partner in innovation. What what else is your job? I mean, how, what is marketing at AccuWeather and how is it different from marketing at an auto company yeah. or, or a, a tech company, or I guess you are a tech company yeah. or a CPG company. Yeah. So tell us about marketing. Tell us about your job. Well, for me, you know, I think the big, the, I'll, I'll take a step back. With this year being such a year on so many things changing and me coming brand new into the role, I think year one is going to be kind of a back to basics, a back to fundamentals. I think we as a society are thinking more backyard, more community. And I think as a business, I, I almost want us to think a little bit, okay, so what are those foundational marketing capabilities? Where do we know things about our customers? How can we begin to thinking about it? And the other big thing I want to really work on is humanizing the brand. We, you know, whether companies are known, they, I think we, People think they're a big computer, and yes, we've got AI and we've got data and science. Um, we certainly have a ton of meteorologists, but it's not just the meteorologists. We've got designers who are creating the maps and really bringing that to life. We've got writers who are telling the story to make it be understandable for consumers. And we've got whole teams of products who are thinking about developing products that are consumer first. So I think my big next step is how can we begin to humanize the brand? We also have a terrific um, 
head of creative. And so Brian Baker has been doing some phenomenal things on um, thinking about the brand and how it's going to come to life. And I'm really excited to collaborate with him. So I feel like I've got, we've got a great foundation and it's, it's about really building on that. So your team, describe your team to me. Is it designers? Is it meteorologists? Is it, uh, you know, t- who composes your team? So marketing is, is I don't think we have any market meteorologists on the marketing team. We, we, we just play them on TV. And that's only when I, I was in the green room, I will tease. Um, but no, so we've, we've got a mix of consumer insights. We've got, we certainly have creative talent that we tap into. They're fabulous. We've got our B2B side. We've got um, digital marketers. We've got consumer marketers. So we've got a mix of everything. I will admit we're a lean team, um, but it is, it's really kind of a fun group. And I think it's because there's such passion I and mean, we've got such a focus for our business, um, having a great topic and foundation to work with. But we've got a lot of room to grow because we probably as a brand haven't done enough of our own storytelling. You'll find us in newspapers or find us on the radio. You certainly, thank goodness, everyone's finding us online um, and in the new app. But I think we've got an opportunity to talk more about us as a brand and why we're different and why we're unique and really bring that because it's so relatable to consumers and bring that to life. So what has been your biggest learning in your early in this job? What's been the biggest surprise or learning for you as a leader as Hmm. you've started up? That's a good question. Um, You know, I I might say that um, at the foundation of the company, and so this is kind of going back a little bit to the, the history of the company, you know, we're in the name of AccuWeather is accuracy. And so that is absolutely a key importance factor in what we're doing. And that sounds simple, but it's really not because, you know, we're very proud of the fact that we've had study after study that have, you know, ranked us number one in accuracy, not here, but globally around the world. But I think it's that really attention to detail and attention to not just what the temperature is for you, but we literally have over 300 metrics that we actually are following to help consumers and businesses make decisions. And that's what our focus is. It's about how can we make you make better decisions? And so whether you're um, a trekking company and you're moving things across the U.S. and avoiding tornado season with things happening there, um, we thankfully had a lovely tweet from a user Um that said, you've saved my life. A couple weeks ago, he and his girlfriend were sleeping. It was 1.30 in the morning and alert came on his phone and they had 30 minutes to get to um, a safe place. And so that was more than heartwarming. So thinking about some of the foundation of the business is really important. And so the more my team can help get that message out in a way that's understandable so consumers can make better decisions, so businesses can make better decisions for them, that to me is critical. Now we're wading into this area of brand purpose mm. as as you're talking, right? So I want to go there with you. We talk a lot about brand purpose on this podcast. Your daughter Julia said, "Hey mom, take the job. Weather affects everything." So you are inherently, you know, a high impact company yeah. because of what you're doing. So I would like you to talk about that concept of brand purpose at AccuWeather. How do you think about it? What language do you use? Is it something the leadership talks about? Yeah. Is it implicit or explicit? So take us through that, if you will. I'd say there's two levels I can tell you a little bit about. One would be, um, I think, a little more um, personal, perhaps, and one a little bigger. And so when I think about the purpose of the company, um, weather is different for everybody. Weather is different for different people. And so if it's raining like it is here today in New York um, and you're commuting, if you're fortunate enough to be commuting and or thankful enough that you're actually working during this time to commute, 
um, appreciate those frontline workers, then you've got a different approach to how you're getting out there. But if you're um, a farmer and it's raining, it means something very different. And if you have to evacuate your home, it's it's even more different. And so we know everyone comes to us different. And so we have to be thinking about that. But when I think bigger about the company and our big purpose of saving lives, which literally, if you walked down the hallway and asked anyone, they would tell you that. And I've I've never worked with a company whose focus is saving lives, I will tell you. We take it really seriously. And so one thing I was so impressed that we started um, from literally, I think it had to be the first or second week I was there. We said the one thing we can do to give back is to donate to hospitals, medical centers, triage facilities, those temporary facilities that are being built. We can donate our advanced warning systems to help them um, keep their frontline workers, keep their patients safe when impending weather is coming. So that could be lightning, it could be rain, um, it could be a tornado with everything going on. And so we have actually already installed over 330 uh, facilities across the country have given the service to. And I'm really proud of the team who reacted so quickly in doing that. And so that's something that I think shows exactly what our greater purpose is and how we want to operate and how not only did we come up with the idea, but we put it into action immediately. And we started calling Carling the hardest hit states and those facilities that we knew were being built. And now it's all across the country. Wow. How do you describe the purpose of AccuWeather to someone? I mean, what would you say to your daughter about the purpose of the company? And is it something that you talk about as a leadership team? Do you measure it? You know, I think the measuring point is really interesting. I think there's a lot of opportunity for us there. When I think about purpose, we absolutely talk about it a lot um, in what we do. And I think well, the good, great news is that some of the meteorologists, I mean, they literally take it very serious. And when I, I mean detailed on how we're doing things, looking at individual storms um, and to measure and, and to rethink how we've done things and can we approve. So I'd absolutely say from the science perspective, we're doing a lot measuring. I think for more of the marketing or some of the other areas of the company, um, our statement is typically about where we want to make weather easy to understand so you can make the best decisions. And that's, it's for your family, for your life, for your business, making lives simpler, safer, better. And so that's what we talk about. And so for marketing, we use some of that underlying concepts, but I think we have a lot of, a lot of opportunity to really even say that in clear messages in different ways, because, you know, I want sunny in 72 to be as equally exciting as a storm coming in. And matter of fact, I, I want 70 and sunny to, to even be more exciting. So you're out in the golf course or you're playing with your kids or whatever it wants to be. I mean, that's, that's really the lifeblood. It's, it's, I'm talking a lot about saving lives and I don't want to make diminish that at all, but it's, it's really about every day. Sure. So we talk about purpose on this podcast. We talk about culture a lot, right? And they're very related. Now you're such an interesting company, right? Your founder is about 80 years old and he's still running the company. 20% of your employees, if I have this right, are meteorologists. You reach a billion and a half people a day, and you have clients like Amazon and Disney and Microsoft. So what is it about this culture that has kept you growing, kept you as a market leader for almost 60 years? I think you point out some of the best parts of the company, and I I will really start with the foundation of Joel and his vision for the company. The founder. Yeah, the founder of the company. I will tell you every day I have a discussion with him, he, we are talking about new ideas. We're talking about how we can innovate. We're talking about what else we can try. And I've never worked for anyone who literally, it comes up every meeting. 
Um, what other ideas have we heard? And so I think there's such a willingness and openness to be nimble, to be entrepreneurial, and to be focused on how can we could be doing things better at the heart of the company. Um, Maverick, I shouldn't even said that out loud because I know now the next meeting I'm going to have with them, we're going to have more <laughs> new ideas. Uh, but but I, I say that really, you know, seriously, it's, it's, it, that is underlying on how we do it. And Maverick, I even say in these today, um, our last meeting with some of the executive um, team this week, it's, we're talking about now, but we're also talking about next. So this drive to do the next thing, to innovate, to try something different, what are some of the uh, interesting insights in the company that you've uncovered that can lead you to growth that you can talk about? Well, you know, I, you mentioned our B2B side of the business. Um, AccuWeather for Business is, I'm so impressed with the things you're doing. We work with many of the Fortune 500 companies, as you mentioned. And when we think about innovation for that business, it, it isn't just as simple as, oh, here's our product on the shelf. Good luck with it. It's really customized, and but it's not customized in the fact that, oh, let's just, you know, fix it for you. It's not about selling a product. It's about solving a problem. And I think the more we focus on that, that's solving a problems, we don't have to sell the product so much, right? I think that's so much across every business, but it's really about um, being open to understanding the nuances. So if a business says, gosh, we need more people when it's hot outside because they're buying cold drinks versus another time, we want to give them that indication. And that wouldn't have been something we'd come to the table with. We need to understand more about their business. Or if there's more of their traffic comes at a certain time of year, how can we help them flow their staff so they've got the right staff at the right time? Whatever the situation is. But I think that creativity is something that's driving business, driving the business in AccuWeather for Business. And that openness to creativity is something that that team is really embedded into their own culture of that team. So the specialness of your company is this, you know, new ideas, drive for innovation, imagination, creativity based on science. You have 500 some employees. How do you keep that alive over that many people? And how do you deal with fear of failure? Because when you're in a culture which is constantly improving and is science-based, you're going to be striking out more than you're hitting home runs. So how do you, how do you deal with that? What lessons do you have for others? So I, you know, um, listen, you're absolutely right. And I think that's one reason why um, when you think about striving for innovation and being okay with a little bit of failure or trying something new, I always used to have the slogan of create, iterate, and scale. I think I probably stole some of it from Google. They do create, iterate, something else, but create, iterate, scale. And I feel like particularly for us that create and iterate is very important because um, there's nothing wrong with trying some new ideas, but then it rarely is the smartest idea, the first one. You may need to adjust. And so that, particularly from a marketing perspective, is one that we're having some fun with. We're trying out different languages. We're exploring things on the brand personality. How can we bring that to life differently? And when you think about communication, so I think we're 474 people, I think, total at the company today. It's something of that that ilk. And, you know, we've even started doing mini town halls. So instead of having, we used to do a very big production. I was never there for one of them, but I understand they were big production. We gave away a lot of awards. We have people who've been with the company for literally their entire career. Very proud of that. But in today's day and age, we need to think differently. And so we are actually having our uh, second mini town hall next week. And it's quick updates for the team, but it's also, here's realistic, here's what's going on with the business, but also here are some things that are future focused. And so I will tell you about one team um, 
which really is kind of fun. We they started on their own. They said with with so many people working from home and their kids now at home, they knew that they were not focusing on some of the education because they couldn't be teachers at home all day long. So they started creating some videos and some content for on meteorology, but on science. And so they've done this themselves. It's fun. It's not fancy, but there we're actually out, we're, we're actually now speaking with teachers across the U.S. and school districts to help share this with them. And again, these are ideas you can use with your home. We're hoping to inspire, you know, maybe a meteorologist or two, but in reality, <laughs> any student out there. But it, the intent was really just to be of help to. Um, families as during this time, but it's taken on a little bit of life of its own. And matter of fact, I, I, there's a really cute article on an egg and will it stand? And, you know, today I think is about a desert, but, but it's information that I would tell you the weather geek and all of us will enjoy, not just someone who's uh, in grade school. So where can we find this? You can, on AccuWeather.com. You can on AccuWeather.com. Yep. Okay. You can, you, you can also look it up at the AccuWeather school. Um, you can find some of the videos on YouTube as well. Okay, super. Now, I want to return to your career journey, mm. which we talked about a bit up front. You graduated from Penn State with this marketing degree. You went into magazine publishing with some leading companies. Then you went to the production company, 19 Entertainment, where you worked on American Idol, and so you think you can dance. Then to a top media agency, MediaVest. Then to an online grocer, Fresh Direct. Interesting. You started a company, and now AccuWeather. Wow. Amazing career, but this is your first CMO role. Yeah. So I want you to tell me, were you prepared from this rich career path for this role? And what about that career path defined you as a leader to prepare you for this challenge? That's, that's a really good question. You know, I think in any role you take when it's new and it's, it's stepping into something different, I think there's part of you that is totally prepared and there's also a part of you that's like, do you know what you're doing here? And I mean that in a really good sense. And I think that's the fun of it. But there are a couple things I, I will tell you that I've learned. Um, one was the importance of partnership. And then one was really the importance of the consumer and content. So let me, let me take you through the importance of partnership. When I was a Fresh Direct, um, and, and you're right, when I think about that career path, I, if you would have told me I would have worked for literally a, a running magazine, if you will, um, American Idol, and then go to a grocery store. I used to say I'm the only one who now packs bags versus everyone who was an idol. But now to go to weather, like you, you can't make this up. But what was exciting to me about partnerships, and I really learned this at Fresh Direct, was, you know, we were not, we were uh, by far the largest e-commerce grocer in, in the the states that we participate. We were growing rapidly, but not as rapidly as, as perhaps other companies that may have been launching across the U.S. We had a very lean team, um, and I came on board when we really were just invigorating marketing. It, it was never a core part of the company. Um, we were always very product-focused. And so I said to our CMO and CEO at the time, I said, my goal for our team is to be known as the number one marketing partner. And they said, why? Why would we want to be the number one marketing partner? And I said, because, because we aren't the biggest, I need them to give us a second look, particularly the brands like your friends, your old friends at P&G and the, the SC Johnsons of the world to the Chibanis. I also need them to say, gosh, I have a little extra budget. Let's try it with Fresh Direct. And I wanted them to keep coming back to us. And I knew if I could earn their trust in the collaboration, we could, we could move the business forward. And about a year into the role of being at Fresh Direct, I found out about an interesting company on the research side. It was called Advantage International. They're based in Chicago, and they're led by a super guy named Mark Hubbard. 
And he came to us and he said, you know, Michelle, we're doing this testing and metrics on comparing or really sharing feedback from e-commerce grocers and the brands that work with them. And we're doing this anonymously. So you'll be able to know what those partners think of. So P&G can give you feedback on you and they don't have to worry about like this is coming from P&G. And it was transforming because we got to hear about feedback from merchandising, for buying, from operations, and for marketing. And at first, I will tell you, people were a little nervous because you're always afraid of what you don't know. But I found it to be super empowering because we could then say, this is what we've learned. How can we change things? So my team then went on to really start getting into the weeds of, of some of the things we we're doing, thinking bigger of ideas, um, working with brands collaboratively. We had super partners. And my last two years of being a Fresh Direct, we were ranked number one in marketing by Advantage International. And so I really thought, hey, I would never thought I'd be able to measure it, but I was super proud to be able to say that, yes, we did. Now, the second... Before you leave that, what's your advice on being a great partner? Oh. What is it about you and the culture you, cre you create on your team to build these great partnerships? I think it's about listening and about trying to find the synergies between the partners and the consumer. Because if you can find the intersection where, which matches the brand's need, the partner's need, in the sense, the grocer, and where the consumer will be most engaged, that's where magic happens. And that, that isn't always about a price. It isn't always about a promotion. Um, and I think that was a lot of the questions that we focus on is, what do you want to accomplish here? I know you want to sell more product, but what do you want to accomplish? Are we educating the consumer? Are we telling them about something new? Do we need to provide inspiration on what's for dinner? Those nuances made all the difference in the world on what we put together. So, that's, so that would be a little bit of what I'd, I'd recommend is really listening and, and trying to ask questions. And, and then, of course, use consumer insights to do it smarter and smarter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I interrupted you. No, you no, were no. about to go into your second area. I, I would just, yeah. I would throw this one out because I feel like, in, and again, I'll give you another fresh direct example because, you know, in that daily business is Acuvillo's daily, it was important to keep in, in mind that we had customers who were coming back to us week after week. And the perception that if you were an e-commerce customer, you only stocked up your pantry. You bought the same 27 items every week. And that was not at all what we were seeing. And it took us a long time to convince people, no, they buy broccoli too. I mean, we were selling far and above more fresh produce than anyone was at that time. And, and I think Fresh Direct still does. And um, so we really had to change the mindset. So what we thought before we get so deep in that, what we have to remind ourselves to do is to thank our customer. And so during February, you know, again, we're forming together as a marketing team, we're coming together, we want to get some ideas started. We said, why don't we use this as an opportunity to thank the loyal customers who are coming to us? And we change Valentine's Day into month of love. And again, it's a simple concept, but instead of saying um, thank you and maybe having your delivery person, we literally put thank you or love notes in each one of their grocery bags when they got them. And they were cute little illustrations of vegetables telling you kind of fun statements. They were really fabulous. Then we took it to the online shopping experience and we created an advent calendar, if you will. So each day of the month, we brought something else to life. And so, yes, there was chocolates and champagne for Valentine's Day. And there was a dinner for two ideas, you know, put the kids in front of the movie and have a little something for you. But we also did things around love your pets. And we did something around um, healthy things for you. Like We had fun with it. Chobani gave away the 
their latest Coco Loco yogurt. It was delicious. And, you know, it was fun. And so I think it was about thinking it bigger and broader. And we knew for us, if I just made it be a one week promotion, like many other companies would do, we weren't going to get the bang for the buck for our partners. And so again, we had to think about the content. We had to think about how our customers shopped and we were able to really bring together something that I believe they actually still are doing month of love to this day. Well done. (laughs) Always helps, always helps. But anyway, so that all it all brings you back to, you know, why I think some of these things come back to life at AccuWeather too. So what's the red thread in your career, hmm. Michelle? Is it you joined because of leaders? You joined because you like the industry? That you wanted to keep learning and you moved because there was a bigger learning opportunity? So what, in this very diverse career path you've had with some wonderful companies and industries, what is that red thread? You know, I, I, you're absolutely right. I, I um, love the idea of working for great leaders. And so I've been really fortunate to work with, you know, Denise Favreau back at Rodale, Janet Scardino at 19, Jody Kahn at Fresh Direct. And so some super leaders who certainly helped twist my arm. But I would say that one of the most interesting thing to me is I feel really fortunate that I was able to work on a lot of brands I would consider passion brands. And so um, 19 Entertainment and American Idol is probably one of the biggest. I mean, it's number one family entertainment. And um, but I'd even say when when I was working on Men's Health magazine, some of the properties at Rodale, they just had people who were so passionate what they were doing and they were engaged and even at Fresh Direct. And I will tell you, when I think about AccuWeather and what we're doing here and that thread throughout my career, to me, that's what I want to do at AccuWeather. I want to make AccuWeather so when you tell me you're a fan of weather, Jim, the next time I want you to say, I'm obsessed with AccuWeather. I I am such a fan of AccuWeather. And I think we've got the potential to do that. And so to me, that's where what I'm excited about helping here. How do you build a passion brand? You've worked for passion brands. So people, a lot of people out there are not working on passion brands. How do you build one? So there's a really great book I read. Um, I don't know if you've read this one. Um, and I make it the title wrong. I apologize. It's uh, Friction, Passion Brands in the Age of Disruption. And it's really all about driving innovation for brands at the point where there's friction for consumers. And I think there's some really underlining things there that are so smart. And some of the the brands you, of course, might see that would be highlighted in that book are brands like Patagonia and how they're really focused on the environment and everything they do has that underlying factor. Um, They actually had Yeti as one because they've really made superior coolers. um, And who would have expected that people now wear hats and t-shirts with the word Yeti on it, you know? So they've created these, you know, evangelists who are really bringing their brand to life in unique ways. And so when I think about creating a passion brand, maybe it goes back to some of the earlier things we talked about, Jim. It is that humanizing of the brand. It's being relevant. It's being honest and showing off your personality um, to consumers. And I think those are some of the early steps that we need to do as a brand to be be able to really solidify ourselves as a passion brand. Um, And we can have more fun with that. But I, I, I think we've got potential and I'm going to stick to it for a while and see if in the next couple of years we can, we can make some progress, at least heading in that direction. Super, and I'm sure you will. Uh, but I want to, two, two last questions before jumping into a lightning round, which is going to be really fun. As you look at this career, where do you think you've had the biggest positive impact? And where, do you, where have you had the biggest misstep mm. or setback? Okay, 
I, I knew you'd ask me a setback question. Gosh. All right. Um, <laughs> our, list, our listeners love that. There's always, there's always such rich learning in that. No, no, no. It's good. I, you know, listen, I'll, I'll start with that one while we're talking about it. I would say, you know, what was, I'll tell you what the lesson learned was. The lesson learned was innovate or die. When I was at Fresh Direct, I, we were leading, we were doing some really leading work. We were really disruptors, but I realized we had a very lean team. And even when we knew we wanted to try something different or adopt new technology, I didn't have the resources to go and make that happen. We had to pull together ad hoc teams and, you know, do you go with the, the company that has the nicest salesperson or you pick the one that maybe has the bells and whistles that you think might work? So we had no good way of evaluating. So when I left Fresh Direct, I launched a company called Shopper X Lab. And the whole premise behind it was, could we create a membership model for companies to innovate faster and to be able to share best practices and learnings to drive that innovation? And what was exciting to me is we were getting great feedback. We had brands say, this is exciting. I want to go to your next event, but I need to wait till this. And oh my gosh, when are you doing this next thing? Oh, but I need to wait after the holidays, whatever the but dot, dot, dot was. And I realized like, gosh, there's something, something going on here. I'm not driving enough no's. I'm not getting enough no's. And maybe I'm not getting enough right yeses. And I happened to have lunch, and, and you would appreciate this. I was back at Penn State, and I was having lunch and sitting next to John Hoke, who's the chief design officer from Nike, who's a Penn Stater. And, you know, we're talking. I'm talking with his wife. We're having a nice conversation. I bring up the business, and he says to me the line, brands must innovate or die. This is all something we certainly have heard before and we know. And I had to spend four hours in the car driving back home to New York, leaving that lunch. And I thought to myself, I'm going to spend the next three years working to find companies that want to innovate or convince them they need to innovate, or I can go work for a company that wants to innovate now. And I made my decision that mm -hmm. I needed to pivot. And uh, so the company is actually still doing some things and pivoting. But for me, I knew I needed to go work for a place that wanted to innovate now. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. That led you to AccuWeather, that, right? Yes, absolutely. The rest is history, if you will. Yep. I want to switch to the lightning round now. Okay. And we're going to have a lot of fun with this. So what's a brand right now that you would miss if it went away? Zoom. I would have to say uh, Zoom. Yeah. It is, you know, there's actually an article in the New York Times today where they kind of say, oh, you know, maybe Zoom's the downfall. But I would say that, you know, if I had to be on a phone call or conference call the whole last six weeks or so... I, that's hard. And I'm not saying Zoom is, is that much easier, but I think being able to see you as we are right now, I think it brings to life. I'd much rather be in person, but I, I thank goodness for a little technology. Yeah, I agree. So what's a book you've read recently? You mentioned one. Is there another one that's had an impact on you? Oh, gosh. Or that you enjoyed a lot? You know, where the crawdads sing made me cry a little. Um, you know, I, you know what's interesting, I will tell you of late, and I think partly it's because of this period of time we're in. I've been reading quite a few of the articles by Bill and Melinda Gates and have really been inspired by some of their leadership and creative thinking on how they're thinking about the world and giving back. And so I, I would, I, it's not a book, but I would say some of their things have really, really impressed me. I'm doing the same. 
watching his old TED yes. talk and he's on TV a lot doing interviews, oh. thank God, and I'm watching those. Yeah. yeah, I agree. How about podcast series? What are you listening to or watching now that's interesting for our listeners? How I built this, I think is great. Um, I, um, I actually read a book on tape, which I thought was, uh, read a book on tape, listened to a book on tape, um, that I thought was really good, which is actually on negotiating. It's been out for a long time. And that is, um, oh goodness. Um, it's all done for, for, um, negotiations. And he was an FBI negotiator. And I just thought it was a really great perspective on negotiation. And I apologize. I'm not thinking of the name right now, but that one's terrific. Is the book you were talking about by Chris Voss? Yes, exactly. Okay, got it. Okay. Yes. That'll help our listeners. Super. Okay, sorry about that's that. Right. We're, brain, we're brainstorming together, okay. so all that's right, good. good. So best new habit that you've picked up during quarantine? I am really making a concerted effort to meditate every day. And it's something I've done for a long time, but particularly in this um, day and age, I think it's really important to have a few minutes for yourself. I typically would have said participate. Um, and I mean that not just in the office, but outside of the office and getting involved in industry and going here, other people, but that's a little harder now, but maybe webinars and things like that can fill in. And then the last area I would say, um, which is something really, I think important for all of us is to give back. And so I, I, I like mentoring and I think it's really important for me because I take away so much for, but I really think it helps some of the individuals you can touch base with. Are you mentoring inside your company, outside your company, both? Both. both. Most, and I would say both. a lot. I uh, because I'm new, and so it's been more ad hoc now. But but certainly, I've got some of my old mentees from previous worlds who are are calling during this time. But I also have some for, um, for instance, I'm a member of a group called She Runs It, which is for women on every stage of their career. And so I have a, a mentee there, and, and who's fabulous. So I, I I think it's important to give back. Now, what's the craziest experience from American Idol? <laughs> or craziest, <laughs> it, most interesting person, whatever. I, I've been to several of the shows live. I mean, it, yeah. it, it was quite a scene. It was definitely quite a scene. I, you know, I, you know, to some extent, you know, I actually really probably enjoy the interaction with um, the idols themselves versus the big names because they were, they were young kids and they were trying to break through. And I so remember Chris Allen and Adam Lambert and, you know, I mean, they had never done these things before and, you know, and they've gone on to do really amazing things. So I think um, that was my favorite, but I'll never forget. And I, I won't mention some of the names who were there, but like, it was just amazing how people became very starstruck that you didn't think would be so starstruck. And they'd be like, oh, I, it doesn't matter to me who's backstage. And all of a sudden they saw, and it didn't matter who it was. It's like their whole face went black and they were like, "I who is that star? But I think it's, it's because the number of people backstage and certainly it was, you know, our, um, you know, whether it was Ryan, but more often it was certainly, um, I say, just say all the phenomenal artists that were back there it, and they were, they were excited to be there and participating, but I think people being starstruck just, just made me laugh. What is your special gift as a leader? I think my positivity. I approach the world with a very positive point of view. And so even when we have issues or challenges, it's about how can we solve this problem to make it be better. And so that's absolutely the momentum I, I like to bring to the table. You're the right leader for these times. That's for sure. What are you still working on, Michelle, as a leader? Oh, gosh. I, you know, I will, I will say the one thing I, I always think about is listening. How can I be a better listener? Um, and that's picking up on the nuances of what's said, what's not said, 
it's picking up on the um, what am I missing or what not am I paying attention to because I'm not always at the same stage of life as someone else's. I mean, I think even today's day and age, and I realize some of the team, we've got, you know, people living in New York in 400 square foot apartments being quarantined. And we've got people who live with a farm outside their backyard. And, you know, and it, you can't, it's not the same. And so I think it's, you know, trying to be open-minded about that. So I, I would, I would go in that direction. So listen, I have one more question, but I'm going to bounce it back to you. We grew up in the same town. We went to the same university. Any question for me that's on your mind? So now, since you were backstage at American Idol, did you have a star that you were particularly excited to meet? Ryan Seacrest. I mean, come on. <laughs> I know. He, he just, you know, uh, I brought, you know, we were a big advertiser when I was at P&G and American Idol, so I went to several of the live shows. He was so sweet with my daughter, who was in college at the time at UCLA. And I asked him when we were doing an award show at P&G, you know, giving awards to our best brands and doing the most innovative work and so on. I said, would you come and host it? And he said, yes. And he came and hosted it with me. And it was a bit of a surprise. But I said, you know, our administrative employees would really love to meet you. Would you go to reception with them? And he did. And he stayed for like two hours. No, you he's know, so he just—he's sincere. He's—he's—he's he's, he's such a you know positivity. Mm-hmm. He's such a positive person. So Ryan, for sure. No, I'm still I, a big fan. No, you you can't. And he's just the, the hardest working guy in, in television. I mean, by far, I will say. The one story I will tell you, um, which was kind of funny for American Idol, is I my daughter was young at the time, and so one of the shows I had her backstage with me, and. Uh, she literally fell asleep on my shoulder kind of thing. And I'm dragging her around and doing, still doing what I needed to week and she's asleep. And, but I realized then a couple years later, I said to her, um, you know, I, I think I probably was working on the agency side and she's like, mom, I don't tell anyone what you do. You're on an agency. It's hard to explain what you do. And I said, well, did you tell people what I did at American Idol? And she said, no, I didn't tell them because no one believed me. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> and I thought that's, that's real life. So anyway. <laughs> yeah. So he's wonderful. So now, last, last question. Mm-hmm. Who would you like to listen to in the CMO podcast? Who would be interesting for you? Ooh, um, you know who's terrific if you haven't met her? I don't know if you've met Jill Kelly. She's the CMO of Group M. And I think the agency world is, is really kind of an interesting place right now. And so I would recommend Jill. I also might recommend Sarah LaFleur. And she started M.M. LaFleur, which is a uh, clothing business for women, for women in business. And I think she's got a unique perspective on how she's um, really innovating in this market. Beautiful. Two great ideas. Michelle, this has been wonderful. When I say we are, what do you say? Penn State. (laughs) That's an inside joke for our listeners among a few million people. (laughs) Still kind of an inside joke. Thanks again, Michelle. This This was very sweet. Thanks to you and the team. Have a great day. That was my conversation with Michelle. We grew up in the same town, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I had a great time chatting with her about our roots. But what I loved about her today was how she spoke about her positivity as a leader, as her special gift, which is so important in these days, about her continuous quest to be a product innovation leader and to expect the product to always be better and better and better and how she is a humble, self-aware leader who's just always trying to listen more to her people, to customers, to partners. She had such wisdom about being a great partner. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review 
on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.